Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. This is the word of God. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jamal. Uh, Full name is Jamal Abdullah Sabri. It's Arabic. Um, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, July 7th, 1990. And I came out my mother's womb weighing in at about nine pounds, eight ounces. I was a heavy boy, right? It was, it was mainly muscle mass, though, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, like, I came out my mother's womb with a six-pack and an afro. <laughs> like, that was, you know what I'm saying, that was me. Uh, but uh, the reason I, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, was because my, my mom wanted to give birth to me while, uh, around the family while my dad was uh, in Japan. Uh, serving this country as a Marine. Hoorah. I'm saying, appreciate that, Dad. Uh, Soon after I was born, we moved back to Oceanside, California, where I was raised most of my life. And in being raised, one of the most valuable things my mom's ever taught me was to pray. Um, I I remember so many times coming to my mom and being like, yo, Mom, can you pray for me? And then she'd be like, boy, I'll pray for you, but you got to learn to pray for yourself. Uh, my mom taught me how to pray. And one of the most valuable things that my, my dad's ever taught me was to uh, work hard so in the future I can uh, grow up and raise a family, right? And to this day, I don't know another man that would outwork my dad, straight up. <laughs> like, you put my dad and yourself in the same room with the same task, he will outwork you all day. Like, that is my dad. Like, he is one of the hardest workers. And what he's done is he's taught me to work hard. Um, that's what he's taught me. So if any job I have, like, I try to be the hardest worker at that job. I, that, that's what I strive for. Um, he's taught me that. I strive to be the best at everything I've ever done. If I wasn't the best, I would get mad. Um, if I, if I, I wouldn't give up, I would just get mad. I would try to figure out how I could one-up you. Sports came easy. Music came easy. Um, Growing up, I played the drums in the church. I rapped in the church. I played the keyboard for the church. I hated education. But guys, this is going to sound real dumb. But I hated education. But I remember in my sociology class, psychology class, a couple years ago, I was acing both of those classes. You guys don't know this. Um, but the day of the finals, I quit just because I didn't feel like going. 
uh, it came easy. I used to, for fun, just draw the brain for, from scratch and label all the parts, just for fun. Um, that stuff, it, it just came easy to me. I was good at school. I, I gave it up because I wanted something else. I was always chasing something else. Then I met my wife, beautiful woman. Um, but the day I met her, I told myself I was going to get here. Why? Because I get what I want, right? The, the world revolves around me. The world is about me. That's how I think. And anybody seen the Truman Show? Anybody seen that? Like, I thought my life was the Truman Show. Because I thought everything revolved around me. I chased glory. I chased attention. I chased self-pleasure. I was always right and you were always wrong. It's about me, me, me. And guys, this type of thinking is the way I think now. Not was, but is the way I think now. And it is 100% to the core, completely opposed to God. It is evil. It is completely evil. It is. I'd rather be served than serve. I'd rather receive praise than uh, give praise. I'd rather demand respect than show it. But thanks be to God this morning. Thanks be to God this morning, church, that when you preach the word, God first shows you in the word that you're seeking to preach your own sin first. You know, when you, when you uh, seek to um, exalt and preach Christ about and talk about people's need for a savior, he first shows you your need for a savior so that when you preach, you don't elevate yourself as the savior. That's what he does. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, humility. And I believe that the reason why, why I'm addressing humility based on God's sovereignty is because um, I think what God desires to do is to humble me. Just straight up. He wants to humble me. Um, and the first rule and the first law of ministry is humility. John the Baptist understood this. He said, he said this about the law of ministry. He said, let me decrease so that Jesus might what? Might increase. Paul or John understood that. So what is humility? How are we to be humble? Who do we look to? Guys, humility is first grounded and rooted in the character of God. It is his very nature. And in, in, in this characteristic that belongs to God, God, through his spirit, gives to those who belong to his kingdom. It is a sign of true religion. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That, what, that humility is the absence of self. Um, it, it is the gateway into heaven. And in it being the gateway to heaven, it is on our part complete spiritual bankruptcy. It is complete spiritual bankruptcy. It does not accumulate self-merit. It doesn't accumulate self-praise or self-righteousness or self-worthiness, but depends solely on the grace of God for salvation. It is the gateway to heaven because it depends on God for salvation. This morning, we're addressing humility, the thing that involves a little bit of sacrifice. It involves a little bit of pain. It involves some dying to self. It is at its core selflessness in every way, shape, and form. It's humility, the thing that God gives grace through, and the thing that once you think you have it, guys, you've completely lost it. Amen? There's a need for humility in this world. Amen? There's such a need for humility in this world, but how much more is there a need for humility in the church? How much more is there a need for humility in our individual lives? Um, there, there, there's such a need. Uh, what does this look like in this church? What does humility look like in our marriages, in our parenting, at our jobs? How are we to walk humbly with our God? Paul answers this question in um, 
Oh, where's my Bible at? No, the small one. Oh, there we go. go yeah, so Paul answers this question in Philippians chapter 2. How, how are we to walk humble with our God? Um, so today we're going to look at humility. <clears throat> in this passage, we'll first see the means of humility, and then we'll see the model for humility. We'll see the uh, means, the avenue, how, how are we to become humble? And then we'll see, secondly, the model of humility. Uh, verse 3 and 4 says, do nothing, do nada, guys, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Then it goes on and says, but in humility, count others as more important, more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, so in this, these two uh, passages, we're going to see three negatives, okay, and two positives. Paul gives us three ways on not to live humble and how not to do this, and then he gives us two ways on how to live humble. Three do nots, two uh, do's. First, we'll look at the negatives, how not to live humble. The first two in that section is selfish ambition. He says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, these first two go hand in hand. Selfish ambition and conceit, they go hand in hand. Selfish ambition is the pursuit of our own goals, right? Self, uh, conceit is the pursuit of our own glory. Selfish ambition, goals, conceit, glory. Now, how these two go hand in hand is the more we accomplish and the more we uh, attain in this life from an unpure heart, the more glory we feel do our name. Amen. The more we do, the more we feel like we deserve a hand clap of praise. Um, and and these how, that's how these two go hand in hand. Now, how does this work in marriage? Lord, help me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Lord, help me. Uh, the wife's gone for the day, right? Wife's gone for the day. You decide to finally clean the kitchen, right? Do the dishes. And this time, actually wipe off the counters, right? You know what I'm saying? So she comes home. She's tired. She's, like, just wiped out of her mind. She has no energy, She's hangry. So she walks to the kitchen, right, to get a little snack and a little drink. And you follow behind her. You got your swag, right? You're like, yeah, she going to love this. She going to love this one. You know what I'm saying? She going because the kitchen is clean, dude. You clean that kitchen better than she's ever cleaned it, right? You know what I'm saying? No offense. No, the kitchen's clean, right? Not saying I've cleaned it better than she's ever cleaned it, all right? But it's clean, like you got down and dirty, you know what I'm saying, not in, in the mature sense. You were on your knees with a, a toothbrush and some bleach, like you went in. And then she turns around, right, and then uh, she's got the drink in her right, snack in her left, hair looking all crazy because she had a long day, you know what I'm saying? And then you're just standing there waiting, like, here it comes, yeah, here it comes. And then she looks at you, and she, all she says is, what's up, babe? You need anything? So your whole world crumbles. Your whole world falls apart. Why? Because the pursuit to clean the kitchen was the pursuit of your own glory. The pursuit to do that certain thing was just so you can get a little hand clap of praise. But when you didn't get that, your world falls apart and you become angry and you become frustrated. And Paul says, don't live like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Amen. And then secondly, thirdly, he says self-interest. Look not only to your own interests, First, he says, selfish ambition, don't do that. Conceit, don't do that. And then thirdly, do nothing from selfish ambition. Uh, 
Look not to your own interests. Now, first off, the word not only clarifies that, like, Paul is not against self-interest. Like, he's not against people doing whatever they, you know, certain things that they want to do. But what he is against is people only self-interested, right? Like, it's okay to watch TV, but it's not okay to watch TV when a spouse is cleaning the kitchen, juggling all the kids, trying to get ready for bed. Like, it's okay to kick it with the homies, but it's not okay to kick it with, like, Paul's not, a, nobody, Jesus kicked it with the homies. Nobody's against kicking it with the homies. But it's not okay to kick it with the homies when you haven't taken your wife out in weeks. You know, I know th- there's some guys who've taken their friends out to eat more, um, more than their wives. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but I'm wanting us to feel the weight of this text. Paul says, don't live like this way because it's miserable. It's, it's not humble. Self-interest is always looking out for number one. That's self. It's that constant woe is me. It's that constant, I'm just way too tired. Or, hey, hey, buddy, maybe later. Like, your kid comes up to you. He's always asking, can you do this? Hey, maybe later, buddy. You know what I'm saying? And the poor kid's like on the fourth week of hearing maybe later. You know, and he, oh, when all he wants to do is just spend some time with his, his fam. You know, and that's why Paul says, look not to your own interests, but what? Look also to the interests of others. So here comes the two positives in this text. You want to live humble, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And looking to the interests of others is considering uh, our, our consideration for others must, concern, uh, must precede concern for ourselves. Our consideration for others must precede concern for ourselves. Now, this is completely contrary to how the world thinks. Um, now, this does not mean people get whatever they want, right? Like, don't go home and be like, Jamal said, I can have whatever I want, right? You don't want to do that. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah, I'm going shopping. Like, you don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? You never want to use a verse or a passage to justify anything. Um, when you do that, when you take this verse, you're actually doing the complete opposite of what Paul's getting out. You're looking after your own interests, your own self. Um, Paul says, look to the interests of others. Consider others. Think on the hopes and dreams of others. Think on how that person feels. Guys, in a room this size, have you considered the hurts of others? Have you considered the pain of others? And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of myself as well. You know, in a room this size, do we know the wounded? Do we know the weak? And do we know the discouraged? And not only that, but have we pursued them? And I'll tell you this much. I have not. Why? Because I my my lack of humility, my my lack. I'm so self-centered and so self-interested. Right. I'd rather wake up, go to church, come home, rest rather than wake up and pray. Spirit of God, give me the mind of Christ this morning. Spirit of God, help me to see things that I wouldn't see without your spirit. Father God, fill me with your spirit so I come to church ready to serve, ready to give my life as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to you. Like, why do we need to pray this way? Because there's temptation to wake up in the morning tired, not even wanting to go to church. There's temptation to, when we actually get to church, right, to just be thinking about what am I going to eat? When am I going to sleep? When am I going to be served? And, and that's a great temptation. Meanwhile, not noticing the person right next to us broke down in tears because of a lost loved one or because their marriage is falling apart, right? Um, so, yeah, it's hard to see 
other people's circumstances as more important than our own when we haven't taken time to just sit and listen with somebody. You know, it's hard to see depression on someone's face when our face is always turned towards self. Um, now, what would this look like immediately after church today? What would this look like? Let's think on that. Like, today after church, how can I purposefully look not to my own interests but to the interests of others? For some of us, it's just simply, like, helping out with chairs and tear down, you know? Uh, for others, it's um, instead of bolting through the door, staying and, and seeking to encourage someone. Uh, for some, it's actually taking your kid to that place you've been telling you would take them for weeks or taking your wife out on a date instead of watching the game. And for some wives, it's actually sitting there kicking it with your wife watching the game, you know. Um, whatever it is, whatever particular interest you have, Paul is saying be willing to give that up for someone else. That is what Paul is saying. And then secondly, he says to be humble, count others as more important. Than ourselves. Now, to count others as more important means to place someone high above ourselves, to value someone more than we value ourselves. Um, so, so, I mean, I want, I want to be gentle too when I say this, like, because I mean, you experienced this stuff growing up so many times, like pastors, leaders in the church elevate themselves over others, right? So many times, leaders or ministers or elders find too much value in the title. Therefore, they attribute too much value to themselves uh, just because of a title. But I'm, I'm thankful, guys, that we have a pastor and leaders here at this church who refuse to do that. Like, if Eric Cobb is not, you know, meeting with somebody or praying for somebody or, you know what I'm saying, he's picking up chairs. <laughs> like, I watch the guy. Like, he doesn't know this, but I study him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's doing those things. Why? Because he refused to let that title pastor uh, hinder him from service. It's because he's pastor, he serves. And we'll see, we'll see this in Jesus. And guys, I want to say one particular thing. We're not the owners of these titles, right? We're not the owners. We're mere recipients. God is the ultimate overseer. God is the ultimate leader. God is the ultimate husband. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the ultimate father. And God, by his grace, have given us certain titles here on this earth for the purpose of reflecting him as the ultimate. Right. And if God being God, the highest of beings, owning the highest of titles, humbles himself, humbles himself and gives a helping hand, how much more should we as a church humble ourselves and give a helping hand to those who are in need? Amen? How much more should we do that? In this church, in our lives, with our neighbors, how much more? That's why he says in verse 5, look at verse 5, have this mind, have this mind, which means to think this way. This type of thinking isn't just a casual thought, but it involves affection. It involves the willpower. It involves um, some, some reasoning. It means to adopt a view. It means to adopt a way of thinking and to make it your own. And this word implies a daily ongoing lifestyle. And that's why Paul says continue to think this way. Continue to behave this way and have this mind. This mind that was in Christ Jesus, Paul is saying that you have it for the taking. Paul is saying it's yours. Have this mind. And what was this mind? Um, our second point, the model of humility. God becoming a man. <clears throat> so I spoke to a good friend of ours. Most of you guys know him, um, Bo Civile this week. Anytime, dude, anytime you run into Bo, it's like a bundle of joy, dude. You know? Like, Bo's so tight. Uh, but he said that this is the crown jewel of humility. 
Amen. Scripture's clearest picture of humility, God becoming a man. Paul starts with the preexistence of Jesus in verse 6. He says, though he was in the form of God, or better, though he existed in the form of God, this is a, that word is present tense, so it's not saying like he was once God in the past, he gave it up and he's no longer God, but it's saying he was always God, um, present tense, though he might look like a mere human, he is actually fully God. He's fully God, fully man, and there's no question to this. Jesus Christ is God. The Bible is explicitly clear on this topic. Jesus is fully God. Uh, I don't have time really to go into detail, but if you're taking notes, um, the Bible's clear on these facts, that one, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed, a lot of people, non-believers, they say there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus actually said he was God. Yes, there is. Jesus claimed in John 8, 58, he says, before Abraham was, ego eimi, I am. He uses the Greek Septuagint translation, which means Yahweh. And in Exodus, if you, if you know Exodus, Moses is talking to God in the burning bush, and Moses is like, man, who do I say sent me? He says, tell him I am who I am sent you. And in John 8, 58, Jesus is claiming to be the person who talked to Moses in the burning bush. It's clear. It's like so clear. Jesus is God. Secondly, God the Father calls Jesus God. God the Father calls his son God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. And then thirdly, the disciples call Jesus God, and, and they worship him as God. That's John 28. Romans 9, 5, uh, Titus 1, 13. There's so many scriptures. Like, if you struggle with Jesus being God, just read the book of John. You'll be fine, right? You'll be totally fine. But Paul, that's not the, that's not the point here, though. And I want to be careful when I say that, but that's not the point. Uh, Paul, what he's doing, he's not merely, guys. He's not only trying to exalt who Christ is, which he is God, but what he's doing is he's, but for a moment, highlighting who Christ is so he can set up and show us the importance and the depth of who he became. He highlights the preexistence of Jesus so he can show us how Jesus came to humbly exist. He sets it up for us, right? And I need someone to hear me this morning because if we find ourselves in a high place holding on and clinging on to a title like a parent or pastor or leader or elder, uh, God right now is calling us to become low. Why? Because Jesus Christ, being God, became low. Jesus took a huge, guys, a huge leap from uh, his throne in heaven. He came down to earth then to suffer and die on the cross for us and the glory of the Father. And all God is asking from us is to take a little itsy-bitsy baby step to help our brother or sister right next to us in need. God, the, God, Jesus went from heaven to earth, from the earth to the, you know, you know that song, but I forgot how it goes. But anyways, he, he did that, and all he's asking for us is to take a little itsy-bitsy baby step into our brother's and sister's life. How can we step inside someone else's world this morning like Christ did for us? Amen. How can we uh, do this as a church this week? What does that look like? It looks like verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. You want to step in somebody's broken world this morning? You want to, you want to look after someone else's interest more than yourself? What does that look like? It looks like us as a church, us, us as individuals taking on the form of a servant, getting down, dirty, ready to serve. 
Because that's what Jesus did. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. God Almighty came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. How can we come to this church to serve, expecting nothing in return? How can we step inside our marriages to serve our wives and our kids without expecting anything in return? How can we do that? How can we step inside our jobs and with our neighbors seeking to serve, expecting nothing in return? He gives us the answer. It's humility. Humility is what is required. Then Philippians 2, verse 7 goes on to say, speaking of Jesus, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Now, like, why did Jesus need to be born in the likeness of man and be found in human form and human flesh? What was the purpose of Jesus coming that way? What was the purpose of God becoming like a man? It was for the purpose of humbling himself so that he could become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Death on the cross, guys. God needed hands and feet to be crucified, right? He needed a head to be crowned. He needed a side to be pierced. You know what I'm saying? You see, we talk about uh, humility, like weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. Paul talks about to the Jews... He became a Jew, and to the weak, he became weak, and to the outsiders, he became as if an outsider to win some to the faith. Guys, God became a human for the humans, to win us to the faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's ultimate humility right there. That is ultimate humility. This is the crown jewel of humility. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And my question for us, church, is are we willing to become obedient to the point of death? How about death on the cross? Like, are we willing to become obedient to the point of death? And I'm that guy that raises my hand and says, yes, Lord, like, yes, I'm that guy. I would die for you, Christ. I will go to the cross for you, Christ. I'm that guy. And then God's just like, wait, wait, hold up, bro. You're moving a little too fast for me, buddy. Like, slow down. Jamal, are you willing to become obedient to the point of just simply serving your wife more? Jamal, are you willing to become obedient to the point of just simply loving your neighbor more? Wait, Jamal, like, slow down. Are you willing to become obedient to the point of just seeking out the broken in the church more? God is not calling everyone to a martyr's death. He's not. But what he is calling everyone to do is to die daily in our marriages, in our church, at our jobs, to die, to come spiritually dead. Nothing and sorry, not spiritually dead, but uh, but just coming to serve, expecting nothing in return. That's what God is looking for. Um, He's calling us to humility. Now, to to, um, sorry. Yeah, that's what he's calling us to do, to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. It doesn't matter like where we're at in life, what position, what title we have. God is calling us to humility. And this is for everyone because God being God, the highest of beings in the universe, came down to serve. Amen. Uh, Now, in verse 9, we'll see God the Father has exalted Jesus because of his humility. Um, Verse 9 says... Speaking of his death and what he accomplished on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in this last section right here, what you'll see is um, the exaltation of Jesus. There's a now exaltation. Jesus is exalted now, and there's a future exaltation. Um, the now exaltation is Jesus, because of his humility, he's received this name that's above every name, right? Now, I don't think um, that the name above every name is Jesus. I believe that the name that he received that's above every name is Lord. Uh, four reasons why, all right? There's more, but I'll give you four reasons why, based on this text. One, Jesus did not receive the name above every name until after his death on the cross. Verse 8 says he was obedient to die. Then verse 9 says, therefore, because of his death, he received the name. So Jesus received the name above every name after his death. Jesus had the name Jesus at his birth. So could it be Jesus? Secondly, verse 9 says that this name was bestowed. Um, the Greek word for bestowed can mean um, like restored. Restored as in he once had it, but since he did something, he got it back. So and that's Lord. And then thirdly is uh, I know some of the some of us read uh, verse 9 and 10 like this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So at the name of Jesus, right? But in the Greek, it could be understood this way or read this way. Uh, he's received the name that's above every name, so that at the name which Jesus was given, every knee will bow. So they don't quite say the name yet until verse 11. And that's where everyone's confessing the name that's above every name, and that is Lord. And guys, there is coming a time where every knee will bow. There's coming a time where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every, no exceptions. You know what I'm saying? You think about the atheist who mocks this idea of God on his knees bowing. You think about ISIS, they're done. They're, there's no exceptions. Every tongue, every knee will bow, no exceptions. Whether you believe in Christ or not, every knee will bow. And because of Jesus' humility, um, we will all bow to him as Lord. And for those who, of us who don't believe in the name of Jesus, um, you will bow to the glory of Jesus as Lord. You will confess him as Lord. And then shortly after, he might say something along the lines of, depart from me for I never knew you. That's scary. And for us who trust in Christ, work on the cross through faith and grace alone, we will bow to the glory, happily bow to the glory of God as Lord, Jesus as Lord. And then shortly after, he might say something like, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. And, and that's scary to think, man. There's people out here who are, who are dying, man. And they will bow, who, who think that they... They're good to go. Like, no, they will bow to the glory of Jesus. Um, and so if you're here this morning and you don't believe in the name of Jesus, what Jesus would lovingly and mercifully say to you is he would say, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Because there is coming a time where every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, thank you for thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for um, 
God, your grace. Thank you for peace, Father. Thank you that there, if there's anybody here, Father, that does not know your name, that you welcome and you welcome them in right now. Thank you that there's peace right now, Father. You're worthy of praise this morning. God, I just ask that you would humble me, that you would help me to seek um, those who are in, in need, that you would humble this church, you would edify this church, and you would grow us, God, and you would help us to um, pursue those who are in need. You would help us to not be so self-interested, but to leave this place today seeking someone to lend a helping hand, whether it be in our marriages with our kids, whether it be somebody who's broken right now, God. I pray that your spirit would move to seek, to encourage one another, Father. I pray that you would grant that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.